Welcome to the Littler Labor and Employment Podcast, conversations about employment and labor law issues that impact the workplace. Good afternoon. This is Russ McEwen of Littler Mendelssohn, and I am joined this afternoon by John Braun, who is the founder and president of Signature Safety. Signature is a leading workplace health and safety staffing and consulting firm, and John Braun and I have worked together for a number of years. Uh, we've been speaking lately about the subject that most of us have been speaking about lately, and that is the coronavirus uh, pandemic. John, good morning. I'm, I'm happy to have you here with us today. I suspect that, like the attorneys here at Littler Mendelssohn, a good deal of your counseling in the past several uh, days, if not weeks, has been related to the coronavirus outbreak. Um, before we move on to really the, the, the main focal point of today's discussion, that is construction industry employers, are there specific OSHA standards that relate directly to communicable disease? Well, first, good morning, Russ, and thanks for having me. Um, the calls certainly have been coming in, so uh, you're right when you say that. Um, what, what we're seeing right now is while there's certain regulations that may come into effect during this pandemic, such as maybe the bloodborne pathogens regulation or respiratory protection requirements, uh, other personal protective equipment. There's no single communicable disease regulation that has been issued by OSHA. So what they're probably going to end up doing should they choose to go down the route of enforcement with an employer is invoke the general duty clause, which states that an employer has a responsibility to provide a healthy and safe work environment for their employees. So it's pretty broad. Uh, It's kind of an OSHA catch-all where for they don't have a specific regulation. I would imagine that's what they'll be using if they choose to go out uh, and, and issue citations based on any of this. And that certainly avoiding citations is always a, a priority of any of our respective clients. But at this point in time, I think that really everyone's focusing on how do we keep our employees uh, safe and, and what do we do in the event that um, someone uh, exhibits symptoms or, or actually contracts uh, the virus. Have you seen with with prior um, outbreaks of communicable disease, such as the avian flu, have you seen OSHA actually enforce the general duty clause against employers for their their failure to provide a workplace that prevents the spread? There wasn't really any noticeable increase in enforcement from that. I think their main concern when we have situations like this, such as the avian flu or this current pandemic that we're experiencing, is to utilize their their outreach to get out to the employers with information to educate them to prevent the spread to keep the employees safe and and ultimately that's what they're tasked with doing is keep keeping employees safe so the best way to do that right now and in a situation like this would be education Uh, i think in the past there was a good response from employers uh, as far as developing plans to react should something occur and to do whatever prevention they could to, to prevent spreading of the disease. I think that's what they're more concerned with right now than, than punishing employers for something they may have failed to do. Yep, as it should be. So we were, uh, uh, speaking of getting ahead of the issues and, and outreach, Littler was um, has devised a, a team of approximately 30 attorneys, uh, a task force, and we've been working on the coronavirus issues now for a couple of weeks, and we were out early and often with guidance to our employer clients, um, talking about how to protect employees from infection in the workplace and some of the things that we and 
many others have conveyed, and this is per the CDC and, and the World Health Organization, some of the things that we've been talking about is, are the necessity to keep workplaces clean, particularly in places where viruses can survive, such as on keyboards and uh, on, on desktops and doorknobs, and also talking about the all-important hand hygiene. Focusing now on the construction industry, is there anything that's really different about that protocol when it comes to working at a construction site? I wouldn't say it's necessarily different, although the environment may be a little different than what uh, your, your typical office environment may be. Uh, you will have a similar environment in an office trailer on a job site. The challenge we face is that construction isn't a job that can be done from home. So people, as long as these construction sites are, are up and running, people are going to go to work. So really the focus is how do we keep those people healthy? How do we keep them safe from, from this pandemic? Uh, and the first being what everybody is being told, if you're sick, stay home. It's, it's difficult in an industry where people are getting paid by the hour. They go home and, and they don't have a paycheck. So there needs to be policies in place with how this is going to be handled. We, we've also encouraged our clients to get the information out. Don't assume that everybody's watching the news. Don't assume that they're getting the proper information. Have trainings with them. Show them how to properly wash their hands. Tell them what it is you expect them to do as far as maintaining separation from other people on your job site, coughing into your elbow, whatever else there is. Don't just assume that they know it. Providing of hygiene stations and places for them to, to wash. And, you know, everybody's talking about sanitizer. Obviously, if soap and water is available, it's a better option. But if not, and, and we know in construction sites, it's not always an option, then we need to provide sanitizer to them so that they can continue to clean up uh, themselves as well as the things that they're coming in contact with. Providing time to, to wipe down tools and equipment so that we're reducing the risk of, of spreading the, the disease. We can't expect them to work, 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 not give them the time, send them home, and, and you know, then everything's going to be clean. We need to provide them that time to do so. And on top of that, encourage them not to share tools and equipment wherever possible. You know, if I hand my hammer to you and I'm coughing all over my hand, well, you know, hey, we just, we just opened up a, a gateway for that, that virus to pass. We've also got regularly scheduled cleanings of the workstations. As we mentioned, you do have office environments on construction sites a lot of times in the trailers. So same thing. Are we spending time cleaning down the doorknobs, the desk phones, light switches, uh, all the places where, you know, being constantly touched, uh, break stations, tables, things like that. And when it comes to breaks, can we stagger them? Can we reduce the number of people that are in any given area at any given time? Do we have to send everybody in at the same time to sit in the same room to have their, their break? These are all things that, you know, questions that are coming up. How can we do this? Uh, you know, if the weather gets nice, maybe we can encourage people to take their breaks outside. It won't always be possible, we understand. Meetings, there's always project meetings. Can we encourage those to be done via teleconference so that we don't have to gather everybody together? And probably one of the biggest challenges that companies are going to have in this situation is, is subcontractors. They have a lot of control over what their own personnel do, but what are their subcontractors doing on the job site that may be further endangering their own people or the subcontractor's personnel? And then the other thing I think we need to think about, right now everybody's in a reactive mode, a bit of panic, not knowing what's going on. There's a lot of uncertainty. At some point, we need to start considering that this may not be the last time something like this happens. So when everything's settled, we need to do a review of what happened during this time, 
We need to sit down and say, okay, these things work, these things didn't work, this should have been done sooner, and develop a, a pandemic plan or an infectious disease plan or a business continuity plan so that should something like this happen again, uh, we're prepared for it, more prepared for it than maybe we were this time around. I think these are all excellent points, and I appreciate you uh, sharing your insight, John. So just just to be very clear for, for any Littler clients who may listen to this recording, make sure to check with your local Littler attorney about the compensability of the time spent cleaning tools and equipment. Um, don't mm -hmm. assume that that's going to be on on an employee's own time. That's that's uh, compensable time. Uh, John, to your right. point about – you made a point about things that, that employees come in contact with. On construction sites, that could be, you know, you know, it could be block and brick, and it could be exposed steel. You're not suggesting that that the uh, general contractor or subcontractor needs to be concerned about wiping down areas that are are typically found on a on a, a construction site that's in process. No, no, I don't, I don't think that would be practical, and in some instances, I don't even know if it would be possible. There's exposure to the elements. There's there's suggestion that. This virus doesn't last long in the elements, maybe a few hours uh, at best in the right, the right conditions. We're also seeing guidance coming out that's saying it's really not surface-to-person to, to contact that's spreading this disease. It's close personal contact with people who are infected. So, no, I don't, I don't think going that far with it um, would be a reasonable thing to do. But places that are, you know, highly contacted, by multiple people, as we mentioned, such as a, a telephone that may be shared or, or a doorknob or a light switch and things like that um, in the office trailers, tools that are being shared or uh, control panels on equipment that maybe multiple people are using. Those are the things I think that they should be focusing on because those are the chances that if it does spread from surface to person, those places would have the highest uh, degree of likelihood. Understood. And, and you mentioned uh, close proximity, which, which raises yet another big area where we've spent a lot of time counseling our clients, and that is what to do with that employee who either reports that they were in contact with someone with a confirmed case of coronavirus or they themselves have contracted the virus. And, and we are focused very heavily on you know, applying the employer's policies, applying the law as it relates to sick leave, trying to take care of individuals who, you know, frankly, can't afford to be without paychecks for a very lengthy period of time. So a lot of our counselors come in this area, what to do when you encounter that employee who has symptoms, uh, flu-like symptoms or, or coronavirus confirmed case from a safety perspective, uh, what's the right protocol the contractor should follow when they've got that individual who shows up on the job site uh, with symptoms uh, or a confirmed case? How are you advising your clients? So, you know, every, every client's going to have a different tolerance of how much time they can stop working. So there's really a difference here between symptoms and a confirmed case. Uh, if somebody shows up with sniffles and you send them home because you don't want to take a chance, we're probably not going to grab people out of the field and say, you saw this guy in the last couple of weeks, uh, you need to go home too. If we have a confirmed case, that's a different story. Anybody that has been in close contact with that person for the prior two weeks should be sent home for a period of two weeks because you don't know at what end of that quarantine period you're at at this point. It, the person could have been infected for two days. It could have been infected for the last 13 days. We don't know. So anybody they've been in contact, close contact with for the last two weeks should be sent home and should remain home for another two weeks to make sure that they have not been infected. But as far as you know, symptoms go, 
you know, that's going to be employer to employer. Definitely anybody who is displaying any symptoms should go home. You can make recommendations otherwise to, to people who've been around them, uh, definitely notifying those people that this person has displayed symptoms and they should keep an eye out uh, would be the minimum to do. Sure. So, John, we're on a podcast, uh, so we, our time is somewhat limited. I just wanted to cover off on one other very important part of, of the work that we're doing for clients uh, these days, and I suspect you the same, and that has to do with uh, communications. And we, we find, as in so many different areas where a crisis is involved, that communications play a very, very key role in how effective the, uh, our clients' policies are. We've been advising our general contractor clients to actively engage project owners about their own site preparedness plans. We've been advising our general contractor clients to engage directly and immediately with subcontractors about expectations around the coronavirus pandemic and and the specific protocols that, that will be applicable to a given job site. When dealing with our subcontractor clients, we've helped them prepare their communications to their employees, to the general contractors, as to their plans and protocols. And, and then, of course, there are communications that any employer is going to have to its own employees about its policies, as well as when an employee self-quarantines or, or contracts the virus. Certainly a lot of information to share on the topic. Now, of all those different types of communications, are there any that are specific to safety that we should be considering and advising our clients on? Well, aside from the um the things that we've spoken about, the best practices to train their employees in, to notify, as you said, their subcontractors, what their expectations are going to be. Really, the only other issue becomes reporting cases to OSHA when necessary, as they've just released a, a clarification on this, uh, I believe it was just this past Friday, to let everybody know that what's going to be required is if there is a work-related case, then that will need to go on the OSHA logs, just as any other work-related injury or illness would. It would need to meet the same criteria. It's got to be work-related. It, it needs to involve uh, lost time or, or medical care beyond first aid. I think there's going to be a challenge in determining that something was job-related in the first place, uh, determining where a person had the exposure and, and contracted the virus is going to be definitely a challenge. So I'm interested to see how this proceeds. But, you know, once on there, annually with the new record-keeping regulations, that information will go to OSHA for certain companies and certain industries. There's no requirement to report anything up to the CDC. That will be done by any uh, medical professionals, healthcare professionals, once there's a positive case. But definitely communicating with everybody involved in the project or anybody that could be affected by somebody who has tested positive from the owner of the project to the subcontractors to any vendors or anything who may have been exposed to this person uh, the more communication the better and we don't want to incite panic but we want people to be able to do what's necessary on their end to prevent further spread of the virus so we should definitely let them know that there was a positive test we need to be careful of HIPAA regulations that we don't go uh, awry of those. <laughs> and so we keep the names off of it, but we want to let everybody know this has happened. Take the precautions that you need to take now that you know that there's been a potential exposure. So the fact of uh, exposure and, and someone contracting the virus as opposed to the details of, of who the individual is, is what's right. called for. 
On the OSHA logs, John, just a quick question, just to just mm-hmm. to be clear, this is work related. Uh, someone who vi- who contracts the virus and it in, at work. Yes. What is to prevent, or what is the wisdom of an employer simply writing down anyone and everyone in his workforce who winds up getting coronavirus to err on the side of inclusion? Uh, good business practice, not good business practice. Well, not specific to this disease, but just writing down every particular case, whether it's an injury and illness. Uh, it's not a good business practice for companies because it's going to affect their rates. They have rates, and while for some companies that may not be an issue, they they may not care, there are a lot of companies who have to submit those rates to potential clients to be able to be awarded work uh, or to bid work in the first place. So if you go ahead and, and a whole bunch of people contract this virus and there's really no indication that it was work related, but you put it on there anyway, your OSHA recordable rate is going to skyrocket. A lot of times in these pre-qualifications, the clients will give you the opportunity to appeal something because the number is out of the ordinary, but not always. So really it, it would be prudent for each company to really make sure that what they're seeing is a work-related incident or can reasonably be expected to have been caused in the workplace. Understood. So don't be flip and just list everyone who winds up getting sick uh, because you think it's the easier thing to do. There could be some downside to being over-inclusive, it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. Well, John, I'd like to thank you for your time uh, and, and your insight. Uh, Signature Safety is, is certainly a, a leader out there, and I know you're, uh, you're helping the contracting community keep abreast of all these developments. Uh, to you and to anyone listening to our podcast, I'd like to stay, stay safe. Remember, we're all in this together. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to uh, either myself or John. Thank you. Thanks, Russ. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.